Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1. We will read from verses 24 through 29, but we will be looking exclusively at verse 25. So Colossians, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Though The words will be on the screen for those of you who do not have a copy of the Bible yourselves to follow along. If, if that is you, if you do not have a, uh, a Bible of your own, uh, feel free to seek one of us out. We have Bibles that we can give and we would gladly give uh, free of charge for you to have a copy for yourself of God's Word that you may read from it and benefit and grow in faith. So hear with me the Word of the Lord through His servant, the Apostle Paul. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this, his energy that he powerfully works within me. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together and then consider its meaning. Our great God, we pray asking for your help. This is your word. We dare not tamper with it. We dare not get cutesy with it. We humbly lovingly and joyfully submit under its truth, under its teaching. I, your servant, present it to your people, not as my word or as something that I wield for my own gain, but as rich food for your lambs that they may eat and grow and have joy and peace and comfort not worldly comfort of a life of ease and without trouble, but comfort in the midst of distress and toil and labor. That they would know you, the good shepherd, the living God. That they would trust you, that I would, I would shepherd them in a way that does not increase their trust and appreciation for me, but in their love and gratitude and trust and the one who gave his life for them. So here I present to you, my Father, my Lord, this sermon for your lambs, that they may eat rich food from Christ. May they feast on him. May they rejoice in him. And in these moments, give grace to your people. Add to your kingdom. And strengthen these, my brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This today will be kind of more of a personal reflection. Um, I started studying the, the book of Colossians to teach way back when I was a, I say way back, but back when I was the associate pastor and the, the youth pastor, uh, as Pastor Jonathan is now, I, 
I was studying that, uh, intending to take the, uh, the, the youth through the book of Colossians. And, and even back then, I, uh, um, even back then, this verse, verse 25, um, just, it just sat there. Um, and it's, it's for me, not exclusively for me, but it is for me. It's for me, it's for Pastor Jonathan and any who um, are called by God to, to lead his people and to be ministers of the word. It's, a, um, it's instructive and for the church to know what it is they are to, uh, not exhaustively, but truly to know what to expect from their ministers of the gospel. And, and so this is, this is going to be more from a, of a personal flavor. So kind of as I was studying this, I was, I was and, I, and I always do, but in a unique way, I knew that this, this text is, is, is for me. I must really, even in this moment, even in this preaching moment, I must preach this for me. In my preparation, I, typically I, I preach the text to myself. I look at its meaning, its truth how to apply it to me before I give it to you. I have to look in, at myself and say, how do I fail to be obedient? How do I fail to trust God? How, where is my sin being exposed? Where is God's grace being exposed uh, that I may learn so that I can impart to you something that I have learned? I, I, my, my leadership, I try not to be do as I say, but follow me. And, I, and even in preaching and teaching, I can't lead you where I myself haven't gone and I certainly don't need to approach the text of, I don't need this, but they do. Um, uh, I, I look at it as, I, look at it as uh, I, I need this. Well, what do they need from, I need this just as much as they do, but what particularly do they need um, from me to you? And I, and I have to think about preparing sermons the way that um, my, I th- I, when I imagine my wife and, and her prepping meals for our children. Um, she, she does so with, with great love and devotion to the children. She does so with, with uh, considerable skill and even some artistry. Um, you know, she doesn't, you know, uh, sometimes that time doesn't allow us to, for her to make a fully prepped meal and that, that, that bothers her a little bit. She likes to have like all the trimmings and the trappings, uh, 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 an entree, uh, several sides, flavored and seasoned very well and balanced and full plates and, and all that. And it's a, it's a loving endeavor on her part. And, um, and sometimes I have to remind her and say, you know, it, it's okay that some meals cannot be home runs. Some meals just have to be fuel for the body. But there is something about the loving approach that is admirable, and, and, and I, I love these children, and, and I tolerate this man, and uh, I make this food for them, for their good, not just to fuel their bodies, but to enrich their lives and to bring them happiness, and as an expression of my love. She does that very lovingly, and in the same way, I have to look at it in my sermon prep for you all. I know that not every sermon is going to have the same emotional impact as, as others. There are some where I recognize that the Lord is, is moving us towards a moment together in the sermon, that He is speaking to us in a powerful way that, that we all together can say we were there for that moment. And there's other times where it's like, you know, I fed them food. It wasn't as uh, you know, elaborate, as extravagant as maybe weeks prior. 
but still it's good food, food that they need. And over the course of time, the cumulative effect of every carefully crafted sermon and prayed over sermon, the, the, the cumulative effect is that you, the lambs of Christ, are fed and fed well. Fed to the point that you, to, to, fed so that you would trust Jesus, you would love him, you would worship him. Not fed merely so that you can just get through your week, although that is something I aim towards uh, to help you get you through your week, but fed so that five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you look back and you realize that through the regular, the regular, sustained, careful diet of the Word of God has caused, or the result has been that in, in my heart, I know now that I trust the Lord and I walk with Him more faithfully, more humbly and in greater holiness than I did a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, and so on. And so that's, that's how I approach this. I, I am preparing rich food from God's Word. Now, the rich, food, the, the rich food isn't because of my skill to season and flavor. The Word of God is, is rich food. I am to present it to you all and give it to you all, prepared for you all so that you may... You may um, take of it, consume of it uh, in a way that benefits your soul. So I can't be confusing. I can't be, um, I can't, I have to make sure that I follow logical progressions. I have to make sure that I give examples that, that, that assist you in understanding. I have to make sure that I, that I uh, um, uh, distill uh, what is come to you in a way that, 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 is, that is accessible to you all, but also a way that lifts you up. So it's a, it's a two-way, it's a, it's, a, it's a two-sided thing. I must lift you up so that you don't stay at the level that you're at in your understanding, but I also don't need to aim so high that you all, that this is no benefit to us, it's flying over us. I need to raise you up in your understanding at the same time, keep it to where you can reach the, you can reach the, uh, the table, as it were, that has been set for you. And that requires careful, loving, thoughtful approach. Um, and that's my goal. That's my task. And here this text, this verse 25, Paul informs me of, of the exact reason why I should be doing this. And it informs you all. So he says this. He says he's a minister of the church. So in verse 24, we looked at it last week, verse 24, Paul mentions he rejoices in his sufferings. And these are the sufferings that the church experiences in its, as, the, as, the, as the evil, hostile, wicked world opposes the things of God and the people of God who are identified with God, they suffer under the wrath of a world that is hostile to the things of God as we seek to minister and serve and to evangelize and to do mission. We suffer, but Christ has limited that suffering. And Paul says, I rejoice because for all my suffering, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, basically saying, for all my suffering, I, I, am, I am adding to that, 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 that overall, that cumulative bucket, that once that bucket is full to the brim, Christ brings an end to all things, and He returns. And I rejoice in that for your sake. I rejoice because I, we are bringing, we are, things are going towards an end. Things are, that even our suffering has a cap, a limit, and Christ is leading us that way to bring all things new under Him when He returns. So he rejoices in that. 
And Paul says he does this for the sake of the body, the, church, the body of Christ, which is the church. And then he says in verse 25, and I am a minister. And this ministry that I have is according to a stewardship given to me by God. And that is extremely informative for me, for Pastor Jonathan, for any who would strive to be leaders in the church. My calling, as for the Apostle Paul, his calling was not something that he looked at and said, what do I want to do when I grow up? Some want to be police officers, firemen, some want to be teachers, nurses, doctors, uh, whatever it is that you, that you want to be, you know, a governor or, or whatever. We, yes, you may strive and have desires. I would like to be a pastor. Maybe some, you know, I, all my sons or most of my sons say they want to be pastors at some point when they're young. And then I think as they get older, they get, uh, uh, they get a little jaded by that because they see how terrible I am and they're like, I don't want to be like that guy. So, so you know, so Caleb I probably doesn't want to be a pastor anymore, but Graham and Christian, they're still, they're still naive to how awful their dad is. So, but uh, you, it's not something that you can just take upon yourself. Some of you sitting there and say, I want to be a pastor, so now let me go to that pathway. You know, if you wanted to be... <laughs> You know, if you wanted to be a, a, a college professor, there's a pathway that you take. You go through, you know, through, uh, you get your, ed your educational and professional pathway and you can take and then you are, then you are qualified and you send out your resumes or you fill out whatever applications you do. And then if a, uh, uh, a, a, a department that's hiring for, for some, for an area that you're in, they, they interview you, you interview well, and then they hire you on and then you are a college professor. But pastoral ministry, leadership in the church, doesn't come that way. Now, that's not saying that people don't approach it that way. But according to Paul's understanding, that's not how it comes. It comes as a stewardship from God. It is an appointment from God to one of his servants. Now, it is not an elevated appointment. When those of us who are pastors and who are leaders in the church, we are not, we are not, you know, all of a sudden when, when, that, when that label of pastor is put on us and we're not then elevated and we're not, you know, so yes, I ascend these stairs to the stage, but that's just so you all can see me better, which is, you know, wonderful for you, obviously, because I'm, you know, pretty and all that. But it is, it is not because I have been elevated above you and I look down upon you as I am the pastor, you are the regular uh, peasants that uh, need my, what I, what I give to you, you need to uh, receive it and be glad in it. Now that's, it's not an elevated stewardship. It's ground level. Ground level with every one of you at the foot of the cross in the grace of the Lord. I am ground level with every one of you, a sinner saved by grace, dependent on the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ every day. I am tasked, though, uniquely in a stewardship to manage God's household. And the household is in the, this particular household is, the, in, is in its particular expression in First Baptist Church of Pinellas Park. I am to manage this household as a steward of God, in the name of God, in the power of God, under the directions of God. A steward is not an owner. I do not have the right to, to, to treat this church 
as, and neither did Paul. Paul does not have the right to treat the church as, as, as his property that he can do with whatever he wants to. So like, for instance, I have a van. We are owners. We don't even share ownership of the bank. It's paid off. Yay. It's paid off. It's ours. So we own it. If I wanted to, I'm not allowed to, but if I wanted to graffiti the outside of that with, with you know, whatever graffiti I could, could muster, which would be terrible, but if I wanted to do that, I could. I could buy the cans of spray paint and go, it's mine. I can do with it what I want to. I am the owner. If I wanted to get a bulldozer and run it and rent a bulldozer and run it over and flip it around, I could do that. That would be stupid, but I can do that. I am the owner of that vehicle. And nothing and no one can tell me what I can and can't do uh, with it within reason. Obviously, I can't drive it while I'm drunk or I'm never drunk, but, you know, I can't drive without insurance. I can't drive it drunk, things like that. I can't run into people with it, you know, but whatever I want to do within reason, I can because I am the owner of that van. It's mine. That is ownership is different than a stewardship. A stewardship is when it belongs to someone else. And that someone else has tasked you with managing it while they are either away or, or something that's not that Christ is away, he's with us, but we are waiting for his return to bring all things new, to bring his kingdom and his fullness. And in the meantime, his household is managed by stewards. Now for the Apostle Paul, he was a, the Apostle Paul, he was a steward. Uh, uh, he, was a, he was an apostle, a unique role that I believe has come to an end. Apostles were those who were, who were personally uh, commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus to, uh, to carry his word out, to build his church, to lay a foundation of the teaching of the church through the scriptures and the, and the, and the, and the, and the writings of the New Testament. They, they had a, not every apostle wrote, you know, uh, uh, wrote in the New Testament, but that was part and parcel to what the apostles did. And so Paul understood that even though he has a unique authority, so stewards do have an authority, but it's an authority that is derived from the owner, from Christ the Lord. Not, so Paul's authority is, is in keeping with his stewardship. God gave him the management of his home, of the church. And so Paul says, I'm a minister of the church. I am a servant of the church under a stewardship to God. And so he understands that this is not, the church does not belong to him to shape it in his image, to mold it according to his understandings or even his wills or whims. Same for me as a pastor. I am not to, I am not to, uh, to, to build up a little kingdom for myself using the platform as a pastor and my influence as a pastor, whatever that may be. I am to serve the church as a minister in light of the stewardship granted to me through Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He will build the church up. He said to, to Peter, when Peter confessed him as the Christ, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but, uh, but my Father who is in heaven. And, on, and no longer shall you be called Peter, but, uh, or uh, uh, no longer shall you be called Cephas, but Peter, for on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is building his church he is growing and adding to his church through the, through the gospel ministry, through his, his, uh, through his people going out in his name, proclaiming the gospel, and people are coming to faith in him. And he is building and gathering his church, and he has placed, put in place leadership in the church that serve under him as a steward. 
And so when I approach my task as a gospel minister, as a pastor, I have to understand, I am not messing with that which is my own. So back to my example of my van, I was doing some repairs on it and um, one of my, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't have uh, the, 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 the van package that I had didn't come with uh, aluminum rims or anything like that. They just came with regular hubcats. Well, I broke one of the hubcats. Well, that, because it was mine, it was mine to decide whether or not I'd want to replace it. If it was someone else's vehicle, I knew I was under obligation. I must replace this missing hubcap because it wasn't, wasn't mine to break. It wasn't mine to do this with. So I need to replace what I misuse uh, of someone else's property. But if it were mine, I could just leave, and we have, we just leave it there. So it looked like little uh, 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 funny people with, with three hubcaps and a you know, darkened rim. Well, it is what it is. Uh, but that, that's because it belonged to me. I can make that decision. One day, maybe I'll decide to uh, uh, replace it, but I'm cheap. I don't like doing that kind of stuff. But if it, be did, if it belonged to someone else, then it's my obligation that I need to replace that which I broke. Same thing with the church. The church belongs to Christ. I do not have rights to break it and leave it broken if I wanted to. I do not have the rights to use it for my own means. I cannot use the church to drive my personal agenda. I cannot use the church to elevate any of my personal ambitions. The church belongs to Christ. He, he is her Lord. You belong to her. And as a servant of Christ and as a servant of the church, I am to faithfully do my duty as a minister of God's word under the authority of Christ. Now, that does mean that I have some authority. This is not an inherent authority. So I have five children. I've mentioned this once or twice before. I think you guys know that. I have an inherent authority over them as their father. So it is my right to, to, to correct and discipline and guide my children uh, under the Lord, but it is an inherent authority. They, when I say, hey, you stop doing that, they are to listen to me because I am an inherent authority. Now, not every adult is their authority. It is not right if, someone, if some stranger comes to them and says, hey, you kids, come with me. No, they have the right to disobey that instruction because that, that adult does not have inherent authority over them. But I do. So if I say to my children, hey, children, come to me, come with me, they are to come and follow me where I go. My authority in the church is derived. It does not, it is not inherent in me. It comes to me through Christ as his steward acting on his stead. Now, if I fail to act faithfully as Christ would have me act, then I have forfeited that authority. I cannot lead the church to sin. I cannot lead the church to disobedience. I, I cannot interpret the text any old way that I want to. And I cannot lead, tell you, just because I have this authority, you all must believe that the word of God says this if it doesn't in fact say that. So for instance, and this is an extreme silly example, if I were to say to you all, as your pastor, I'm not saying this, this is, this is an extreme example, as your pastor, I've studied the scriptures and I believe that the scriptures say that Jesus is a pink unicorn named Phil. You can say no, and then you must remove me. I don't belong as a pastor if I were saying that, if that were what I were teaching and preaching and that that would be heresy and I would have forfeited my right and I no matter how hard I fight 
you all would be right and obligated to remove me if I went on maintaining that Jesus was a pink unicorn named Phil. Or if I said Jesus wasn't fully divine. Or if I said that Jesus, um, uh, you know, that Jesus had, uh, uh, that, that Jesus, um, various other heresies and errors, I don't, I, I want to avoid adding them in and going down another rabbit path. But if I were to do anything like denying the essential doctrines of the faith, if I said that there is salvation anywhere other than faith in Christ Jesus alone, you could say you would, you would be obligated to remove me. My authority does not mean I can change any, any of the teachings of the Scripture, that I can lead you any way that I want you to. And so Paul here is saying, I am a minister of this gospel. I suffer for the sake of the church because of the stewardship. This was given to me by God. God gave me to the church and gave me this task for the church for the church's good. Now, again, this isn't an, an elevated, this is, it's a high calling in the sense that it is weighty, in the sense that it is to be approached with fear and trembling, but it is not a high calling that it means that I've been elevated and I'm looking down on you. It's a high calling in that I carry a burden a, given to me by God to serve his people and to give them rich food through the word. That is a, that is a heavy burden to do. I am responsible for teaching and training you in the faith and exemplifying the faith and living out the faith and godliness. And I will be judged with a double judgment. First, my own life, and then that which I led my people. Now, I want to make that clear. If I'm teaching faithfully and humbly and lovingly and prayerfully the truth of God's word, but you all are refusing to listen and you remain obstinate, I'm not going to be judged on that. God's not going to say, why didn't you get those people to listen? That's Because if that were the case, then Jesus would be considered faithless for, for hundreds and thousands of people abandon him and his teaching over time. Um, it is not my, you know, but where the double judgment comes is not that you all just, you know what, we're going to just, you know, we're going to teach Tim a lesson. We ain't going to listen to nothing. Well, that's, that's on you as long as I am humble and faithful and serving well according to Christ. But if I am teaching falsely or if I'm teaching one thing and living another and you all are encouraged by my actions, well, okay, so we can believe this but live this way because that's what our pastor does, then I will have that double judgment. Then I will fall under the, the uh, I, will fall afoul, I will fall afoul of Christ's pleasure. Because I cannot, my life and my doctrine must match. And I must lead you all faithfully to follow. If you do not follow willingly, that is not on me. Unless you don't follow willingly because maybe I'm speaking the truth, but I'm doing so with a clenched fist and gritted teeth. Y'all get this right or else. And you rebel, you, you push against that. That's, that also is one thing. But if I am humble, loving, and teaching God's truth, and yet you remain in, in disobedience and faithlessness, that does not fall on me. But I still do carry the burden that where you go, how you walk with the Lord, does will reflect on the quality and the faithfulness and the, 
the authenticness of my ministry. If I'm ministering in anything other than the grace and the power of the Lord through the Spirit, through prayer, through the Word, it will show in your lives. It will show in the life of the church. Now, get this right also. That doesn't mean that God's going to look around and say, hey, this church is a small church. The church down the road is a big church. You must be doing something wrong because that church is big and your church is small. God is not, God is not entrapped in American consumerism. You know, Target had really long lines for Black Friday. I don't know if that's true or not. Whereas this store had much shorter lines, so there must be something wrong in the marketing departments and in the and in the in the in, you know in these you know something must fundamentally change if Target is getting all the all the all the Black Friday uh, shoppers and this place is not. Let's just say Walmart as an example or Kmart. That's a better example. Um, you know, I don't have to look and say this church is growing numerically, I must do something, I must be doing something wrong if this church is growing numerically and our church is not. We judge based on what the Word of God teaches because I am under a stewardship. I am under the authority of Christ and Christ builds His church through His Word. How do we know this? Well, we look at this in further in verse 25 where Paul says, the mystery, or no, I'm sorry, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And that, that phrase is what has haunted me, for lack of a better term, the whole time I've been looking at the book of Colossians. What is my task? What is my calling? What is my role? It is to make the word of God fully known to uncover for you and to, to, to equip you all to know and understand God's Word. Well, that is, not, that is a daunting task. It cannot be done in the flesh. It cannot be done by just my, any kind of personal skill or strength of my own that is natural and inherent to me. Um, it must come by the help of God, for the sake of His people, working through a humble servant, committed to the things of God found in His Word. And that is one reason why I preach the way that I do. That is one reason why I go, I, I don't preach topically, meaning I don't think, okay, this week we're going to talk about uh, finances, how to be you know, faithful in your fin 10 ways to financial freedom or seven ways to a, to a, a godly. I mean, that's not to say that I don't, that we can't have things like retreats and seminars and special Sunday school classes on those things. But in the main gathering of the church body, my approach is to, take, is to, is to, is to prayerfully find a book of the Bible and verse by verse, section by section, unpack its meaning to God's people, carefully making application to my listeners so that they would understand and know God's truth and how to apply it to their own lives. I don't preach topically because I, I, if I am to make the Word of God fully known, then I must basically unpack the Word of God the way that it comes to us. 
And so as I look at the book of Colossians, I look and I see, okay, starting from verse 1 of chapter 1, all the way to the final verse in chapter 4, I must know how Paul has structured his arguments, how Paul has organized his thoughts, how he progresses his, his, um, his flow of thought, where it peaks, uh, and what, what its climax, what its central point, and how he supports that point, and then how he, once he makes his main point, how he applies that to everyday Christian living. I am to know that, and then also communicate that to you, so that when you read the, the, the book of Colossians for yourself, you have been equipped to read it to the fullest benefit that you can. And that is what making the Word of God fully known means. And that I don't means that I don't just find what what do these people need to know that Tim knows. So I, I'm, I'm like I've had pastoral friends that I can tell when they're really busy in their life because they revert to uh, pastors. Here's a little secret about us. When we're busy and maybe we don't have time to 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 uh, appropriately uh, or sufficiently study uh, the text of Scripture for our sermon, we revert to something else that we know, something that we have, that we have less need to, to have as intense preparation, something that sits in our hearts. So I have, a, I have some friends, I have one particular friend, I can always tell when he's busy because he preaches on marriage. He'll do a marriage sermon series. So whenever he's entering a busy season, back when he was a student, he would go into marriage, uh, a marriage series because that was something that he studied in depth, something that he, uh, uh, that he really worked on. He, he, went through, uh, uh, he went through a lot of counseling sessions and even church discipline matters. And, and marriage was just on the forefront of all of that, a, God, a biblical view of marriage. So whenever he got real busy, without fail, he went into a, a marriage study, maybe a four-week marriage study or you know, a two-month marriage study. Just, you can just tell, oh, he's busy. So you know, it's still good, rich food, but marriage, it's, you just know that's where he was going to revert to. Um, if I approached ministry, ministry of the Word topically, you would just get from me what... I am comfortable with or what I may be presently learning. But if I go book by book, if I go through an entire series book by book, unpacking verse by verse or section by section, idea by idea, then you don't get the best of Tim Hawkins or what is on Tim's mind this week. You get the Word of God unpacked, unfolded, from God through, this, through me, his servant, for your sake. And wherever the text takes me, I must go there. I don't have the right to say, well, I want this text to turn this way, but it's turning this way, so I'm going to force it over here. If I just preach topically, I can say whatever. I can make it, I can just make it follow the direction anywhere that I want it to go. But if I'm preaching, if I'm preaching through entire books as they come to us, if I think the text is turning this way, but it actually turns this way, I must follow. For that is what God would have you to hear. That is where God wants you to go. And I have been disappointed so many times thinking, oh, we're coming to this section and I know exactly what it says. I get to study and I'm like, nope, I'm an imbecile. I did not know what it said. It said something totally different than what I thought. And I had to go this way. I thought we were going to go this way. And I was really looking forward to it. I was thinking of, 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 of ways of shaping it. Then I, when I went down for the formal study, I realized, nope, I can't go that way. I have to go this way. For God's word is going this way. And that is what making the word of God fully known is all about. Is giving you the whole counsel of God. So I must preach through 
the Old Testament, the New Testament. I must preach through uh, uh, narrative texts as well as the as well as the law codes from the book of book of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. I must preach uh, historical narratives. I must also preach um, uh, the 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 letters like Colossians and whatnot. I must preach the easier to understand texts, perhaps say like sections of Gospel of John and sections of Matthew and so on. I need to teach also the harder texts like the apocryphal, apocryphal stuff from Daniel and the book of Revelation. Cannot avoid, if I'm to make the word of God fully known under the stewardship of God, I cannot avoid the hard things, the things that are less uh, apparent to me and to you all. I must give you the whole word of God, including the minor prophets and the major prophets and, and sections of scripture that just can that maybe confuse me that I don't want to expose that I'm that they confuse me uh, uh, so maybe I can avoid them but instead I have to give them to you if I'm to be a faithful steward of God. So this is my understanding of pastoral ministry. It's not exhaustive, but it's partial. Now before I go too long, let's 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 let me answer what some of you may be wondering. Like, well, what's the point of all this? That's that's all well and good. What is the Point of all this well you can't miss paul's word here where he says this was a stewardship from god this is god's way of loving his church is he stewards his apostles in paul's case but his pastors uh, and elders and, and 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 the officers of the church he stewards them he says here you i am calling i am setting apart i will equip you i will give you the tools that you need and the giftedness that you need in order to serve my lamb so we think back i've already hinted towards this i think when the apostle peter when he was being restored by jesus at the end of john's gospel and jesus says to him, peter do you love me and Jesus says, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Three times he tells Peter to feed his people. What does he feed them? Well, according to, according to um, uh, uh, Matthew's gospel, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. The word of God is the food for God's people, the rich food that they must eat and consume in order to grow in their faith and their knowledge of God and their service to God. So God in his loving, his loving, tender care for his sheep, whom Christ died to redeem, so they are precious to him. They were costly for him. This is not, he, he's, you know, I... There are some things that I, I do in my pastoral ministry that, that get more attention and more of my personal investment than others. And, you know, and, and, and you'll see, you know, so, for instance, every once in a while, I'm tasked with when no one else can to cut the grass of the church. That, cutting the grass, I know it's a service to the church. It, it helps relieve those of you who, who, who do it from having to, having to, you know, when you have your busy schedule, especially in the summer when it's hot and muggy and gross and nasty, that, and, like, and, and the rains, you know, make it to where you have a very short window where you can tend to the, to the, to the lawn care of the thing. That it helps if I'm willing to, 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 to throw myself into that task. But cutting the grass is not going to get 
the best of my abilities. Now, I, I'm very careful about cutting the grass, but it's not the same as, as prepping a sermon. It's not the same as doing the refuge ministry. And I'm, so cutting the grass is going to get, uh, uh, um, you know, it's going to get whatever I can give of it. And there are some times where I'm like, yeah, I can't finish this. And well, I guess I'll just put it off till later and, and, and do that. It just, you, you, you don't get the fullness of me. You know, that's just not something I'm personally invested in. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind the grass being a little ragged, but I understand that, you know, it's for guests and other things. We, we need to cut it. I understand that. God isn't investing in the church the way that I invest in cutting the grass. It's, yeah, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll do this. If I can't get to this, I'll, you know, I'll shortcut it or whatever. Sorry, Rick, I'm, I'm sure you're probably just clenching your fist and angry. So how dare he? <laughs> no, but anyway, uh, Rick, I know, is um, he's a great servant of our church. And, um, and I know he cares very much about uh, the maintenance of this. So I don't make light really on that. I, I, uh, I do do my best and think about him often when I, and George also, who's, I know I relieve when I cut the grass sometimes. Sometimes he gets mad because he wanted to cut it and I got to it before he did. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, so, but God is not half invested in his church. He loves his church. It is precious to him. They are his lambs, his children. And so he tasks his stewards to care for them. And he takes very seriously whether or not we do it rightly. Any pastor who, who any leader of the church who, who misapplies their stewardship, who is abusive or who is selfish or personally ambitious and uses that role, that calling to build up their own personal kingdoms, Christ does not take that lightly. You do not want to fall a foul of the Lord Jesus Christ when it regards his bride, the church. He is when, when, when Paul on the road to Damascus, when Jesus approached him uh, and, and revealed himself to him, he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul is, Saul is attacking the church and, Paul, and Jesus is showing, I identify so intimately with my people that when you attack them, you attack me. So no pastor is to abuse the church and Christ takes that very seriously. So this is a stewardship from him to you. He is giving faithful shepherds because he loves you so that you would eat rich food and know him more. For as faithful shepherds and pastors serve the church, they ideally point the church to the truth of God's word and revealed and disclosed in the truth of God's word is the love of God for his people. And he wants you to have that. Children need that. They need to know the security of a home where they are loved and accepted and um, valued. That is one reason why, going back to my early example, Lori's preparation of food for my children is such, a good, is such a worthy investment for her to take that time because the children need to know, although they take it for granted, as we all do when we think about the love of God, we take it so for granted, but they need to know when they think back, mom loved us so much and she sacrificed so much of her time and relaxation so she can do something as simple as present a well-balanced, healthy, delightful meal for us to enjoy. So Christ would have you to know, I have set my servants in place so that when they feed you the word, you will know that I love you. 
you will know that I care for you. Or when I offer pastoral counseling or wisdom or direction or just general care, it is so the church would know the nature and character of God through me. So if I'm harsh, if I'm cruel, if I'm impatient, then I am communicating to the church that Christ is harsh and cruel and impatient, whereas he is long-suffering, he is kind, he is loving. And so the way that I approach this task and the way that the Apostle Paul approached this task, we'll get more on him next week. Again, this is, this is really intentionally personal reflections. I have to understand that I represent the goodness and the mercy and the love of Christ and that my actions, my word, my doctrine, my teaching and the way I structure my schedule must be so that you would know God in his fullness. So, so the first application, the first reason why this is all important is that you must know God. You must know his love for you and Christ intends to have a good faithful servant on task under a stewardship to care for his sheep as a way of communicating to them his great love for you. So that's number one. Number two, if, as Paul understands, this came to me as a stewardship, this ministry is a stewardship to God's people that the word of God may be fully known, that needs to communicate to you all a sense of responsibility on your part. If it is important that God puts in place leaders and shepherds that the word of God may be fully known, that means that your responsibility is to be about the word of God. So the shepherd leads his sheep to the pastures where they can eat the rich grass on the ground. So the sheep are bad sheep if they come to this rich, thick, plentiful pasture and they just sit and don't eat and starve to death. So Christ's sheep, go to God's word. Inasmuch as I am faithful to lead you to the pastures of God's word and the richness of his word, you yourselves must eat. Consume the word of God. Read the Bible regularly, daily, intentionally. Know God's word. Prioritize that. If Paul's, so listen to Paul's language. He talks in 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I am filling up with his lacking in Christ's affliction. So I'm suffering bodily in my flesh, afflictions for Christ's sake and the sake of his body for you as part of my stewardship that the word of God may be fully known. So if, and and I didn't get into this, but I will say, and kind of in passing as a drive-by, pastoral ministry is suffering. I don't think I have to, Jonathan and I didn't talk about this, but I think I can speak for him. It's suffering. Pastoral ministry is labor and hardship and suffering. But if Christ has called us to that suffering in order that the church may know the word of God fully, then the church is responsible to respond as its ministers suffer and labor and toil under the heavy burden of the word that they themselves must be in the word. This is God's priority for you. He has set leaders. He didn't set financial gurus. He did not set clever 
uh, leaders and orators. He sent shepherds. As Paul says, we, are, we have treasures in jars of clay. We are common pots. You can put, you can put valuables or you can put your bathroom excrement in these same pots. It doesn't matter. We, are, we have these treasures in common clay pots. The pastors and the leaders are common clay pots used by God to carry a treasure. What is the treasure? His word, his truth. So God's people, if God has given you such great treasure through these such common means of the, of, of the pastors, and they suffer and they labor and they toil for your sake, you then are responsible to go to God's word daily and feast on him. We are equipping you to know his word and know how to understand it to your benefit and to your joy, but you must eat. Top to bottom, this church must feed on the word of God. And Christ intends that for you. Peter, if you love me, Feed my lambs. He desires that his lambs eat. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. If you would have your daily nutrients, your daily nourishment, it is come, it, a, more, a greater priority is, uh, than even food is the word of God. And if any of you have ever had a hungry belly, even for a few hours, you know how desperate that need is. Go 12 hours without eating. Your body will rebel against you. Your body will show you its displeasure. Why are you doing this to me? We need steak and eggs and beef jerky and all those wonderful things. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me. And Jesus says, if you are not eating, you are starving yourself. Of a, if you're not reading the word, if you are not consuming the word, you are starving yourself of a greater necessity than even food. And if your body cries out for nourishment when it is hungry, how much more does your soul cry out? Give me the rich food of the word of God. So God's people, his precious lambs, feed on the word of God regularly, daily. So I conclude with this. My promise to you is that I do understand my role is not to shape and direct this church according to my designs or my own, uh, my own agendas or affinities, whatever the case. If something that I like or prefer is in contrast to the Word of God, that must fall to the ground and must be discarded and gone away. God's word must take priority. I am under a stewardship. I am under, uh, I have a derived authority, a stewardship from God to manage what is his in a way that is pleasing to him for the joy of his people. I am not, I do not have the right to do things any old way that I please. So I promise you, by God's grace, that is how I will and how I have approached this task. Not perfectly by any means, but I believe truly, and my hope is to truly, all my days, to faithfully execute my stewardship in humility and in fear and trembling under Christ by His power for your good. But you all are responsible to eat if God has sent me to feed you, you must eat. Know God's word. Be in it daily. Nourish yourselves daily in the word of God 
so that you would know more and more every day of the love of God for you. And, and finally, for those who are outside of Christ, who are lost, you heard today of how God gives to His people stewards, ministers, to point them to His love for you, for them. He loves you. He sent His Son Jesus, the great, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, who died in His people's place for their sins. He took their sins upon Himself. He died on a Roman cross, taking the wrath of God for the sins of His people upon Himself, exhausting the judgment against them for their sins in His own body in order to set you free from the guilt and the penalty of your sin. And He lived a faithful, obedient life in your place in order that you would have His record of righteousness so that you would be accepted in God's presence, into God's family as righteous and is free from the guilt and penalty of sin. He did that for you. And He would have you shepherded under the care of His stewards, if you would repent of your sins, believe on the saving work of Jesus, place your faith and trust in Him, and be made new by the power of His gospel. You have heard of the great love of God for His people. Oh, would you be that people of God? Would you come into the people of God by faith into Jesus Christ? Repent of your sins and believe. Be shepherded not manipulated, not abused, but shepherded to rich, good food and safety and security. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie um, uh, by green pastures. He restores my soul. All those things are true of God. Through His, shep through his under shepherds, the stewards of God, He would have you led into green pastures to lie beside still waters and to know peace and joy in Him. Would you place your faith and trust in Jesus now, repenting of your sin, believing on the gospel. Find rest in Him and be shepherded under His care through His stewards.